Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to The Reset, a mental health podcast without all the bollocks. I'm Sam Delaney. My guest this week is the life coach, Glenn Oliver. Glenn had a steady career in the police force and was living a pretty straightforward lifestyle, but felt as if something wasn't quite right. After a life-changing weekend in Ibiza, he changed his outlook forever, quit his job, but then fell into using drugs and alcohol to a problematic extent. His journey to where he is now, fit, healthy, and devoted to helping others build fulfilling lives, is a real roller coaster that I think a lot of people will relate to. A warning, this chat involves a lot of drug chat and in particular, the use of psychedelics and microdosing is talked about. This is something I've got no personal experience of or any expertise in. My advice is always to tread carefully around this stuff. Nevertheless, it's a fascinating subject which Glenn has a lot to say about. I hope you enjoy listening to our conversation. Glenn Oliver, welcome to The Reset. Thank you for having me, mate. So, mate, um, you've been on quite a journey in your life. Tell us how it's been. Tell us tell us the highlights and the lowlights. <laughs> okay. What an intro. Yeah. So it's funny when you whenever I hear both of those introductions, especially the, the police officer bit, I'm like, okay, it just feels like a completely different life now. Yeah. And so when I think back on that, I'm like, was that really me or was it was it this other other thing? So where do I start? Yeah. I've had a, have a journey, like everyone's had a journey, I guess. But my my journey ultimately was one where I realized that at a certain point, I was living a life that was not mine. And I was living a life that maybe was someone else's or this, this construction I'd built around the idea of what you should do and the things you should work towards and should value. And through a number of experiences, those things which I clung to were pulled away from me. And in that process of having them pulled away, I went through, a, a, you know, some ups and downs, uh, the ups being where I am now and that I coach people and I've been doing that for about 10 years, the downs being 
mental health and depression, anxiety, PTSD, addiction. And the thing is, it was, it was all necessary. I feel at this place now, these, these highs, these lows, every single one of them were necessary for me to arrive at this place and to better maybe speak about this in a way that maybe makes sense to people. So that is in a couple, well, not a couple of sentences, a few, a few minutes where I'm at. I don't know where we want to go with that, but there's... Well, first of all, let's break it down a little bit. You were living someone else's life and it was based on a bunch of ideas about who who you felt you should be and what you should do with your life. Tell us in more detail what what that means. Like, you know, where were these ideas come from? Was it parents, school, the culture that surrounds us? And what was the life you were leading that you realised you were so uncomfortable with? Okay. Yeah. So it's a good, a good place to start. So I think from a young age, I went through a, a kind of couple of experiences as a kid and um, really doubted my own level of self-confidence and my own identity. And I was thinking about this just before today. I was like, why the fuck did I even join the police? Like I still can't, if you ask me now, I'm like, I never, I was into uh, hip hop and graffiti as a teenager. Like I was not, mm. you know, I, like, but for some reason, I think I became attached to the idea of being a police officer because if I say that to you, you know the archetype of what that person should be in every part of their lives. Mm. And so for me, I think I just, I did that because I, I I couldn't really figure out who I was from a young age or I didn't feel like I was able to be who I was for a number of reasons. And I think on top of that for me, maybe it's the base, you know, society and what you're told, like you should work towards the houses, the cars, the, the shit, the stuff. Mm. Um, I felt like I'd just, I'd gone on that journey for a number of years and arrived at a place where I was doing all that. I was doing quite well in my career, but I just wasn't happy. Mm. Mm. Well, so you wanted almost like a life that people would call conventional. And presumably one of the appeals of work in police forces, there's a security in it and there's a longevity in it. And I guess it allows you to make certain plans along the lines of things you're talking about. I'll let you got to get the car, you've got to have the pension, you've got to have the holidays. Was yeah. that was that the sort of thing that you, you found appealing? Yeah, there was like a, an idea of certainty within that role. Because unless mm. you were, you do, well, I didn't fuck up, but I, I had to make a decision about that or the gym, which I had at the time. Unless you do something really wrong, you're pretty guaranteed a career. And yeah, like you said, like I, it was all the stuff I felt like what you're supposed to aspire to. And I guess the moment for me was I went through this period of, um, I'll explain, explain it a bit more. So what happened was I was in the police for about 13 years and then I got into fitness coaching, opened a gym with a mate of mine. And um, a long story short, there was some issues with the fact that I'd opened a gym with this guy because his previous history. Right. The job knew about it. It was fully declared to them. But because, oh, fucking, yeah, I'll say it, I don't care. Because it was in the media, I um, I was kind of like scapegoated and investigated by the by the police for about 18 months. And so that, that pulling back of all the things that I'd become – certain about you know i thought i had my yeah. career i thought i thought i knew how things worked and then in that moment to have it all pulled away and to have no control over where i was going was the the trigger for where for my journey i guess so the certainties were pulled away as a result of this like you put you put that sort of solidity of that career in police force you jeopardized it without realizing you were jeopardizing it and and um and is that where your struggles with mental health really kicks in 
Yeah, so that was the first, the, that first experience of not being in control of my life up mm. until that point. And this is like my, my 30s. This is like eight, nine years ago, maybe. Um, that was my first experience of that in my life. And that was the first time I felt depression. I had pretty significant uh, insomnia, I think, for a couple of months, which was like savage and typical bloke. It took me fucking ages to try and get help. And then when I did get help, it was shit and then they just put me on medication which just numbed me and um the thing that changed it all for me i don't know if you were okay with me talking about this well i'm gonna talk about anyway but Mm. is um that i went on a boy's holiday to ibiza which i'd never been on a boy's holiday never Mm. especially to ibiza like never been there i thought i was pretty square at this point i thought i was going to go away and i was taking my kindle with me to read around the pool at night and um Went out there, and by this point, I just kind of made the decision to leave the police. And so uh, I was with a mate of mine on the dance floor. I never really liked drinking, and he goes, "Oh, going to try this this pill." I was like, well, "Fuck it, yeah, why not? Give it a go." And um, that was the thing that changed me. That moment of I don't know, like a, a transformative moment of feeling. I mean, it's obviously the drugs, feeling connected to everyone around me, feeling a deeper sense of love. And uh, in that moment, I kind of everything kind of made a bit more sense to me in terms of what I had been working towards and what I truly wanted to work towards from that point on. Interesting. So it, so it was, I mean, I'm assuming this was ecstasy and that basically gave you more of a sense of connectedness with with other people. Mm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, Like an amazing, I can, you know, if you, you always remember the first time, but it was just this feeling of like, Oh fuck, yeah, this is, this is for me. It's a bit of yeah. me. Uh, yeah. I'd never, I'd never really like drinking before that, and then the thought of being out there. But that in that moment, I, I kind of feel like it answered a lot of questions for me about the, the friction I'd experienced in my life, and why I'd felt so empty in pursuing the things I had. Mm. And so that was the, that was the sort of road to Damascus moment. You, 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 you quit the police. Yeah. And um, and, and what what happened next? Were there still struggles ahead? Oh yeah, yeah, fucking hell. That was uh, that was the start of uh, like a, a a journey that's probably up until only a few months ago, like has has come not to a, not in November, but a definitely a place where I feel like I'm where I should be if that even is even a thing. But yeah, no, that 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 was a big positive in some ways, but it was a negative because it started this process of questioning, and it sounds really cliche and always kind of like fucking who am I stuff. But that was really it. Um, yeah, and it, but it sent me down the road of like, uh, you know, the addiction to coke and stuff like that. I found that when I got back, and I just recognised that I was numbing, numbing myself away from the life I was living and continuing to try and live and lie to myself. Um, and uh, it, it was a, it was a challenging time, but there were some positives from it, and ultimately, it's led to me arriving at this place now. Um, but in that, yeah, there's been struggles. Like I've gone through a divorce. I've had to. I've liquidated my my company. Um, been definite, like definite pain points along the way. And um, are you now in recovery from from addiction, or what's your relationship with substances now? Yeah. So someone told me the other day, or the other week, my friend of mine, that I'm something called California sober. Right. <laughs> Just basically, basically <laughs> don't drink. No coke, but I still I still uh, use psychedelics. Um, okay, I microdose psychedelics, and I still do uh, bigger doses every once in a while. Right. Okay. 
Um, and uh, and how did you sort of manage to stop drinking and taking the other things then? That was that was a moment. I think I haven't had a drink now for. 14 months, 15 months. And that was just as I was going through or about to go through the start of a divorce. And I was at this kind of point and looking at the road ahead and going, oh, fucking hell, I know what's going to go on here. This is going to go one of two ways. If I don't make the decision to stop this now and potentially what is associated with, because I never really enjoyed drinking, but if I drink, I do Coke. And if I do Coke, I do I drink. Mm. I was like, right, this has to be the moment I decide to stop doing this because I knew I was going to be facing stress anyway. So, mm. It was uh, something I'm really grateful that I made that decision because it might have not ended so well, I guess. Yeah, I think that's really common as well. The two things end up going hand in hand. People don't talk about that really mm. enough, but th those two things, drink and coke, go hand in hand for so many people. Mm. And you realise that you have to give up. It's a chicken and egg thing. I mean, me personally, I think, it, you know, alcohol has to go in order for the cocaine to go. That was certainly my experience, but yeah. I think it's experience for a lot of people. And it's interesting to me that you have Alcoholics Anonymous and then Cocaine Anonymous and, and Narcotics Anonymous and all these things are divided up. Mm -hmm. um, but it's difficult because they all go hand in hand. You you know, it's like fish and chips, really, to to a lot of people. I mean, millions of guys, you go, go to the football match on any given Saturday or Sunday in this country and there are thousands of blokes, often older than, than us, you know, uh, sort of, I would say, almost like enthralled to, to that lifestyle that is defined by those two substances together. Mm. And it's, um, yeah, it's probably, I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's not fun. I had fun in those times when, when I was doing that. But it's, uh, I tell you what, it can't be healthy, can it? <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> especially as you get older. Um, no, I mean, I mean, that's the thing, right? It's, um, you definitely never felt good for it. And for me, yeah, you said it was the, the alcohol with it was the thing. I, I think that used to affect me more in some way, but toward it was always the anxiety and the depression and the self loathing in the days after were the thing that I just, mm. with, the, with the things I just, I don't want to fucking experience that anymore. It's impossible to get on top of that anxiety ever as long no. as you're still doing gear. I think, and, and alcohol, because although, let's be honest, it can be pretty effective in the short term, numbing it out when you're in panic or staving it off. I used to feel like it was knocking at my door or chasing me, mm. and that's when I would turn to alcohol and drugs because I'd think it hasn't quite got me, but I can see it there on the horizon, so I'm going to quickly escape. Yeah. I'm going to escape by going down the pub and calling the dealer. Yeah. Um, but ultimately that might at best give you just a few hours of respite before it comes back even stronger. Mm. Um, you mentioned as well, PTSD. Can you tell us a bit more about your experiences of that? Yeah, I think that's largely to do with my years in the police, a number of experiences in the job for 13 years that were quite traumatic. And, um, it was something when I, was diagnosed with that i was like really like i don't feel like i when you think of that you think of i i think of uh, anyway like a, a veteran who's been off to war and they've seen some absolutely fucking horrendous stuff but mm. the thing i think people don't appreciate and it's taken me a while to realize is that you you become desensitized to stuff doing a job like the police that is it's just not fucking normal and mm. over time i think the compounding effect of those moments that aren't massively significant but you know 
every time you see a stab wound or a dead body or, you know, any, there's things like that. And you just think they, they compound over time. And I think that's the, those are the things that led me to that experience. Um, it is interesting, our use of the word trauma, because mm. um, like you, I myself, and I know lots of other men in particular think, I can never use that word unless I've seen my best friend blown up by a landmine in Afghanistan or, you know, something on that level. Perhaps you've been, you were the victim of, you know, sexual abuse when you were a child, for example, but that's the, that's the bar. And it's set very, very high. And, and unless you've got life experiences that you feel are equal to that, you know, most of us feel uncomfortable with using the word trauma. So maybe it's a language thing and maybe we need a different word for it. But the truth is, is that, you know, we are all damaged by sort of all sorts of different things in our lives. Sometimes they seem small at the time, but you don't address them. It's not until years later that you realise that they've really, you know, had a lasting effect on your emotional responses to the world around you. Having that diagnosis and having presumably someone help guide you through those that that sort of process of, of thinking about the things that had happened to you, did it actually did it help? Did it make you less anxious? Did it help you understand yourself better? Or was got, it just a label? It was just a label. And I'll be honest, my experiences with the traditional therapeutic process have never been that great. I've got far more out of my own self-investigation and trying to develop awareness myself and also psychedelics. That's why I'm such a big mm. fan of them. Like I feel mm. like the first time I did mushrooms, I got more out of that four hours than any fucking therapy session I ever had. Mm. Um, so yeah, but yeah, I didn't, it's just a label, I guess it didn't really change anything for me. Well, I'm really interested to know more about psychedelics because microdosing is obviously something we hear more and more about more and more people are embracing it sometimes the most improbable individuals are you know embracing it and finding it changed their lives so i can tell you it's not something i've tried i'm extremely curious mm. i am scared as someone who is a sort of recovering addict about mm. taking anything that i might develop too much of a taste for and that <laughs> could damage me but yep. clearly there is something very powerful in this. Can, can you put into words what that is? Mm, okay, yeah. Oh, wow, that's a great question. And I, I had those concerns the same as you as well, but I, the N equals one of my experience. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. So it's not something, especially the bigger doses of mushrooms, it's not something you want to keep going back to day in, day out, because they're simply so 
profound and I don't know, you just, you don't need it. You don't need it. Mm. And so what, what can I say? Well, in terms of microdosing, I'd say for me, the thing that's helped with is my anxiety and my ability to focus and Im- improve the cognitive kind of ability I have to maybe speak and express myself. That's what I've got from microdosing. Like, and I spent years on like antidepressants and they just fucking numb me. Like my sex drive was awful. I couldn't really have a good time. You get boner, but like, you know, yeah, microdosing, you get all the positives about any of the negatives. Um, and then bigger doses. Oh man, it's funny. It's amusing, but it's really powerful when you just get what you need to get out of every time you do it. And the most uh, simple way I can describe it is that you, I feel like you're able to have a conversation with a part of yourself that is um, in other parts of your life off limits. And in right. those conversations, you're able to kind of reset and all the bullshit that gets in the way of us enjoying life. Mm. Mm. So it goes more, I mean, it's hard for me to, so it, all of the stuff like you said at the beginning, you know, you, like a lot of us are living life, in a way that's almost been prescribed to us by all sorts of different random things around us, often culture, advertising, TV, whatever. And, and does, uh, you know, the psychedelics help just strip away that artificial stuff and get you straight more into the core of, of your brain as it should be. Yeah. That's a great way to describe it. And I guess that was kind of what I felt when I'd be through with that first pill, that idea of like a, a connection to people, a deeper sense of love. And I guess mushrooms in some way are very similar to that. They just help you pull back all the stuff that we feel like gets in the way, you know, like mm. you said, like the things that don't really matter, but we prioritize and place importance on. And then underneath that, you get this perspective of like, Oh, this, this is what really matters. And no two experiences on, on, on it are the same. They're, it's i don't know i don't know what the fuck happens to you where you go you definitely go somewhere that's not here and um yeah it's 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 a, a crazy experience have you had any negative experiences i i've had experiences which at the time felt emotional but not anything where i was like fucking hell i'm not doing that again nothing nothing that made me think oh i, I don't want to do that again no mm. Mm. I've been, I, I guess I've been quite fortunate in that way, but then there are things like, you know, the state you're in prior to it, trying to make sure you're in the best, you know, if you're full of anxiety and like burnt out and like stressed and going into it, it's probably not the best place to be. Um, uh, but I've been fortunate. Yeah. Um, obviously you're into physical fitness as well. Uh, is that something that when things got dark for you, um you were able to maintain through the bad times because for a lot of people it's something that falls by the wayside quite quickly isn't it when when mental health becomes an issue mm, yeah I, I i feel fortunate in that i've always enjoyed uh exercise and fitness and it's become probably my biggest coping mechanism for these things right uh, not in terms of like fucking self i think the, the trouble as i say this like what I see often is people who are experiencing kind of like these low points almost like punish themselves through exercise. Like, you know, like the numbing of what we would, you know, you do through Coke or drink, they're like fucking throw themselves into a wall with exercise. But for me, it's always been something I've been able to keep in my life, no matter what's been going on. And I'm, I'm, 
yeah, feel very fortunate for that. I don't know. I don't know why that is. I just I recognise. I think for me, I've I've, I've recognised the enjoyment of moving and exploring movement and feeling connected to my body. And in those moments, I'm taken outside of my head, and I think that's maybe yeah. why I enjoy it. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. It, that that's what it can give to to you. Um, obviously, you know, you talked a bit about the mental focus that psychedelics have helped with, but presumably you have quite a lot of mental focus anyway. I mean, does exercise help that? Mm. You know, or the, do the two things play into each other? The, the sort of you know the discipline and the focus to to keep going. Yeah, I think undoubtedly exercise makes me able to perform mentally better for a couple of reasons. I think the, there are direct not positive effects of exercise in relation to like mental acuity. But I think one of the things of exercise that it allows us to do is experience uh, suffering or experience um, discomfort. And I think mm. that, is, that is a big positive carryover to like men- mental health as well because mm. – and I, I feel like maybe we've all become a bit like too used to being things being a bit too comfortable. And uh, people ask me how, you know, how can I make exercise comfortable? And I'm like, no, it fucking shouldn't be comfortable. It should be uncomfortable. That's kind of the point in it. Yeah. But from that, you get to know a bit of yourself and that transfers over into what you do in every other part of your life. That's really interesting. Um, let's talk about your coaching work and how you got into that. Um where were yep. you at when you made that decision? How did you, you know, how did you get ready to to coach other people? Mm, okay. So, yeah. So I, I, I recognize now that even in my years in the police, I'd very early on fallen into like mentoring roles where I would coach and tutor people. So I think it's always been part of my DNA, if you have it, have called it that. But then I first found coaching through kind of fitness coaching. I got into something called CrossFit. Yeah. It's like big in the US and I opened a CrossFit gym. And so that was that was that transition point of being the police to coaching, but that was just fitness, right? And so I had that moment in Ibiza and I was like, fucking hell, I don't just want to coach people on burpees and back squats anymore. I want to get into a more significant level of helping mm. people because that's what I think I've realized is I've almost like, I don't know what it is, selfishly wanted to help people experience that thing I experienced through coaching. Um and so, yeah, post Ibiza, I went down a rabbit hole of like more individual kind of coaching, more holistic kind of coaching methods. And then that's been that that evolution over the last like seven years, really, where I'm at this place right now. So what what does um what do you typically work on with your clients then? What what specifically do you work on with them? Okay. Yeah. So I guess there's a couple of buckets or there's probably three buckets. So for me, um, there's the fitness side of it, which is still really important. Uh, And so I would say like physical fitness is still a really important part of what I do with people. And that would be movement and then nutrition. And then there's emotional fitness as well, which I would, I would describe as like, you know, your energy, your lifestyle, how you're spending your time. And then and all the, I fucking hate all the language around this stuff because it removes the effect effectiveness of it but if i say stuff like like um you know meditation and all those kind of mindfulness stuff people will switch off and go ah but but that's a big part of what i do Mm. and then coupled with that uh is really helping the individual figure out what matters most to them figure out what their values are figure out like 
you know, what is this version of this life that they really mm. want to live that they're not living now? And then from that, we have a discussion about, okay, what's the, what are the fucking steps we need to take? What are the things that are going to come up for you in terms of your beliefs and the labels you've got assigned yourself? And we just work through that. Um, and what do you get out of it day to day? You say you've been doing it a long time now. How does it help you working with clients, seeing them develop? How does it, uh, you know, affect your own personal mental health? Yeah, so that's, that's yeah, that's an interesting one. I think years ago when I first got into this kind of coaching, I got into it, and then COVID happened. And one of the lessons I learned through COVID is that I was taking on a lot of other people's shit. And I mm. quickly evolved from just doing like fitness, lifestyle coaching to being a therapist. I had, I had like 30 something clients through COVID. And I went from doing like a monthly call to a weekly call. And so my mental health through COVID was absolutely shocking. But, you know, you learn your lessons through these experiences. And in this place now, like, you know, um, what I would say is like, I, you know, as we go through life, you do these things and you think, oh, oh, oh I am a coach. I'm not a coach. I do coach. And because I, I don't kind of like get too attached to that label. I feel like I'm, I can keep a bit of a distance from me getting emotionally pulled into it in terms of like, you know, if, if if I lose a client, that's not going to affect me. It's going to affect me financially maybe, but it won't affect my own self-worth. And so right now I only get positives out of it because I recognize that I'm sometimes able to really help people. Yeah. I mean, you know, therapists, of course, always have, I think, you know, you have to be under supervision um, when you're in a more traditional therapist or counsellor's role. Um, For these exact reasons that you're talking about. I mean, do do you have it? Do you have a coach of your own? Do you have someone you can sort of share Mm. this stuff with in order to stop it becoming too much of your own problem? Yeah, I think I've probably got three or four people who I'd say are my coaches at this point in time for different aspects Mm. of what I do. Uh, In particular, I have a very good friend and mentor who uh, has been a a psychologist for like 40 years. And I would say he would form the the backstop for those conversations if I feel Mm. like I need to have them. But I think for me as a coach and as someone who genuinely wants to help, one of the things I've noticed, the best thing I can do is create solid boundaries with people about the things I can and can't help with. And when it's going into that thing of like, oh, this is fucking trauma from the past. This is like, I can't help you with this. It's having the confidence to to acknowledge that and go, right, this is when this is when you need to see a traditional maybe therapist. Mm, mm, mm. Um, I'm really interested in what you said about language. Um, this is something that this this whole podcast really is sort of, you know, one of its chief reasons to exist is to sort of strip away some of the language or the prejudices that surround stuff like mental health in the minds of a lot of blokes, ordinary blokes who who need help just like anyone else. They need to talk about shit just like anyone else. And I think that one of the biggest obstacles to all of that is some of the language and the, you know, the culture that surrounds this sort of stuff. Um, Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the culture, but the way in which it's presented is often off put into men. I don't know if you know what the what the ratio of male to female clients is, is with you, but um, you know I'm interested that you, you've identified that too, and ways in which you think you know we can get around that to try and involve more blokes in the sort of things that we're discussing here today. 
Yeah, that's definitely a big part of, I don't know why I feel like I, the, it's been quite cathartic and maybe the meaning I've got from these experiences is to share them openly, to remove some of those like fucking boundaries and the mm. perceptions around it. Because I think that's the thing, especially like guys, like I've had so many, since I've talked openly about my own situations, they'll come up to me and they'll whisper and I get, yeah, you, you okay? Or they'll mm. they'll share stuff with me, but there's so much stigma because of the perceived maybe, I don't know, weakness around it or the vulnerability we show through saying we have gone through these things. But I don't know. I think it's 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 a result of how we're living these days. And the sooner we can have it out there and acknowledge it, the sooner we can develop these preventative strategies that are really quite effective. Um if we can again remove the cliche around the labeling of even some of those things as well. Mm. So yeah. Yeah. I'm with so you. so Glenn, it's been brilliant talking with you. I, I suppose my last question is like, how do you feel the balance in your own life is today? Because I think you, you indicated near the beginning that you, you there are some issues that you've been dealing with that you you're not that long out of. How how, how do you perceive your balance today? Today at this moment, the best is ever been but right that's only a recent thing and i'm coming out of this i shared something about this the day the last few years for me i think i've been living in pure fight or flight like liquidating a company and divorce it's only in the last like month like my this place is empty because i've just moved back here um so i've got right. fuck all furniture yet so i'm just still figuring that shit out and i think for me the thing that's helping me now is to really plan um um and putting my diary above anything else, time to like rest and time to recover and dedicated time with my daughter as well. Those are the things that I'm noticing that are helping me get to this place of being like, okay, everything's good. There's not a fire to put out. You can just start having a bit of fun again. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so interesting um, because anytime that I look like I've been struggling in my life, I, the, the fix has almost always been taking things out creating time for rest and recuperation. But that, a lot of our culture preaches high performance, optimization, smashing goals, and that those two things can work against each other, can't they? Oh, fucking even that, all that optimization, fucking bullshit. Like, it's just, mm. you know, the optimal life. Like, truly, if you live an optimal life, it'd be fucking boring. You won't have a good time. <laughs> um, you know, what's an, an optimal diet? It will be awful. Like, no one would want to ever live like that. And I, I'm I'm so with you, and it's something I haven't observed in my own years of coaching is that quite often now with people, the first steps I'll take with them, as much as they might, there's a bias in them, and maybe towards me and me as well, I feel like I've got to add something. It's often mm. a question of what we can take away first. Um, but that's hard because in our culture, it's almost like more, 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 isn't it? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um Interesting stuff, really interesting. And and how can people find out more about you and the services you offer? So give us the plug and I'll include it in the show notes as well. Yeah, no worries, man. So easiest way to get hold of me is on Instagram. Uh, I am Glenn Oliver. Glenn with one N. I am Glenn Oliver on Instagram. That's the best way. Follow me on there. Okay. Um, interact with me that way. Um, I have a website and stuff, but just follow me on there. That's That's the best way to get hold of me. Well, listen, really interesting. Thanks ever so much for your time. Uh, incredible story and uh, really inspirational stuff in there as well. And 
stuff that certainly pricked my interest. I'm not encouraging any of our listeners to necessarily try all the things that you have discussed on this podcast, but I'm not going to lie either and say that you haven't made me all the more curious. And I was a little already. <laughs> but let's just leave that there. Yep. Um, Glenn, thanks ever so much for your time, mate. Thank you, mate. I really appreciate it. That was Glenn Oliver. If you want to find out more about his coaching work, look him up on Instagram at I am Glenn Oliver. He's a smart bloke and I really enjoyed hearing his story. Please consider helping to support The Reset by upgrading to The Reset Extra for just five quid a month, which is the price of a coffee and maybe a biscuit. You get extra newsletters, bonus podcasts, occasional live streams and invites to in-person events. Find out more at samdelaney.substack.com. Until next time, gang, be lucky and don't let the dickheads get you down. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 